This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Manufacturers have worked on standardizing practices and making assembly tests less complex in an effort to keep their existing employees on the job. Wharton Professor of Operations, Information, and Decisions, Ken Moon, has recently co-authored a paper that looks at the wisdom of that approach. He and his fellow researchers looked at a manufacturer in China that produces millions of units of electronic consumer goods per week, but had a turnover rate as high as 300% annually. In their paper, the researchers discussed not only why that kind of turnover impacts manufacturing output, but they also found a way to stem that turnover, potentially saving companies millions of dollars. The paper is titled, Manufacturing Productivity with Worker Turnover. And uh, Ken Moon is in the studio today to join us and talk about this paper. Ken, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Steve. Great to be here. Great. So in your paper, you're looking at how worker turnover affects manufacturing productivity. It's a problem that you say was once endemic in the early days of manufacturing and is now making a comeback. Why is that so? Uh, it's actually quite interesting, the historical aspect. Um, this problem, it's new today, but it wasn't necessarily new always. In the early days of manufacturing, the workforce was very transient in some sense. Um, people had a number of explanations for this, but um, essentially it was very typical for companies to be turning over their workforce at least once. Um, and this is the early part of, say, the 1900s, so somewhat recently, um, when, say, assembly production and other ways of producing were coming into play. Um, a great example that's actually, in some ways, a lot of parallels to our setting it are, is the Ford Motor Company. The Ford Motor Company in 1913 had turnover of 400%. So that meant that every seat in the factory, they were filling it um, four times over with a new person over the course of a given year. And uh, what you'll find, actually, and um, this is part of what we try to answer uh, in the paper, is in 1914, the year after, that turnover rate dropped to 56%. Hmm. And that's when Henry Ford instituted uh, his famous $5 wage. And so you see compensation make a difference. So the question, uh, and it was, if you look at the past literature, still of a bit of a mystery, was why? You know, why did he do that? pay a wage that was higher than necessary. So it's $5 for eight hours of work, right? Yes, essentially. Right, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that was for now very unskilled labor, which is sort of the setting of the day um, today as well, um, where people have worked very hard to make each task very simple. And you don't require much training. It's very hard to make mistakes. And you can test, did the person do the task correctly? Um, and uh, those jobs used to be somewhat of a craftsman's job. So you kind of hammer the door to put it, make it fit into the chassis. But now um, it became much more reliable. You didn't require skills. And so many people were coming in. So the question, again, was kind of why. Um, what we're looking at is, um, are there effects that even today might not be well understood? And, and this is an emerging question today. If you look at actually across sectors, um, if you, there's a recent article in the MIT Sloan Review on reshoring, which is bringing back manufacturing to the U.S. Um, and in that setting, the number one concern cited in the article is turnover. Mm-hmm. They say we're, tra- we're hiring people on Monday. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I may be a little off. Um, we train them for, say, two days, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we find their badge often in the trash mm-hmm. on Thursday or Friday, and we never see them again. And so there are multiple reasons historically that people believe this happened. Um, uh, turnover fell for most of the uh, 19th century, 
what happened was that people, and this is the theory um, that's, I think, well accepted now, um, companies came to understand that we need the specialized labor. And so they created HR departments, benefits, all these things that are part of our life today, but didn't exist before. So they decided to retain these workers. And um, again, you see this um, not just in manufacturing. Um, you can go to distributors, retail. Turnover is uh, sort of a frontline issue. Frontline issue. And, and because it's such a big problem, what are companies doing to try and stem this? And has any mm. of that been effective is the question. I think the shortest answer is that they haven't been doing a great job. I think because it's an emerging issue, um, you do see a lot of movement say here in the U.S., towards uh, what are called flexible workforces, so workforce where um, people aren't necessarily supposed to be tied to the company all the time. Um, So it is an issue of, um, and and not just with uh, maybe contract workers or freelancers, but it's also the case, I think, within companies. One trend has been that there is much more data about your workforce um, from a company standpoint, and that's been used to raise productivity, Um, So, for example, um, I went on a trip. I accompanied uh, a colleague, Morris Cohen, professor in operations, on a trip to uh, one of the largest pharmaceutical distributors here in the U.S. And they had raised their productivity dramatically over the past 10 years, but their turnover had gone from single digits, low double digits, to over 40%. Um, And so people are finding that they're they're focusing on these other things, especially with the incredible data they have about their workers, trying to make them more productive. But it seems that there's maybe a missing piece and they're not addressing this issue of turnover. Part of it is it's also hard to know what is the effect of turnover. Right, and your paper actually goes into, you know, discusses that at length. Well, what is the effect? I guess the assumption might be that because manufacturers have worked so hard and, as we said, um, making assembly uh, tasks less complex, you call it de-skilling. Mm-hmm. the process um, to a degree. It, wouldn't it be easy just to slot one person in for another? I mean, what's the mm-hmm. problem? So what? how is this really, mm-hmm. you know, what did you find exactly. is actually impact on these companies when people take off? Uh, I, I think that's a great question. And it's one that um, is exactly one we wanted to answer. Is it really the case that in these production processes that are so thoroughly diskilled that essentially the worker is uh, replaceable? So a non-trained, unskilled worker can come in day one and, and fill that slot. And here, again, we're looking at, um, uh, in terms of setting, contract manufacturers located in China. They're producing consumer electronic goods like smartphones and tablets and producing billions per week. Um, so in this setting, what we actually find is that uh, there is an effect. That's the first thing. Um, so if you take a line that suffered um, a typical amount of turnover, say one line per week, roughly, is suffering at least almost two standard deviations below its normal performance in what's called yield. So these are the percentage of units that are actually viable, that can be put um, out for sale for a customer. Um, So the the product has actually been put together um, in the right way. But we're able to go a bit further. So we're actually able to find, to some extent, the source of this effect. Um, And what we find is it's not that the new worker necessarily always does worse. Um, It's actually that the workflows matter and somewhat the social relationships on the line. And the way we've thought about it and the way we look at it in the paper is to think of the following. Imagine that there are 
three production lines. Um, one production line, you have no turnover at all. So all of the experience of the staffing of that line is intact. Um, the second line, say the same week, um, same type of line, you have, say, 10% turnover. And what you do is you put new folks in. So in that second line, the new folks, once production starts, you expect them maybe they're not quite as acclimated to that particular line. Maybe if one of them is making small mistakes, that actually affects the entire workflow. It affects the people downstream from that person and possibly upstream. Um, so you expect to see some effect. Where it gets interesting is, is this third line, where let's say there's 10% turnover, again, just like that second line. But now what you're going to do is look around the factory, and you're going to find people who are very experienced. So essentially, you'll replace all of the people who have left with people who are just as experienced. And it's, the interesting question, again, is how does this line compare to the line where nothing happened, no one left, and to the line where a lot of people left and you've plugged in these um, novices or people who are um, new to the job? And what we find is actually it performs much closer to the second. Hmm. So it seems to be, it's not just that I need someone to be able to do the task at hand, it's actually the disruption to the workflow, the disruption to these relationships where people are able to manage small problems that arise on the line. So it's an impact on the team. Right, exactly. Okay. And so this sort of disruption is actually what's costing the company um, in terms of dollars. And the company you looked at, I mean, mm -hmm. how much was at stake here? What, what were they actually losing from this turnover? Mm -hmm. So it, it, it was a larger effect than uh, I think we thought. It was around 5% of variable costs uh, is a rough projection. And that for this particular company, because they're producing at such high volumes, mm -hmm. um, you know, assembly manufacturing is a volume business, um, around 5%, uh, 5% it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, it's about 135 million, right? Mm -hmm. Wow. It's pretty substantial. Mm -hmm. So what did you find? What were the kinds of tweaks that these firms can make that would help to mitigate this? Mm -hmm. uh, there are a number of things we can, they can do. Um, one thing to recognize that, that we found interesting is that um, workers, a number of factors affect when workers decide to leave. Um, so they're affected by actually people, again, going back to these relationships, if people are leaving on their line, they tend to leave as well. Um, uh, also, um, now if you think about this, that's a little bit worrisome. When someone starts to leave, you think, how do you stem the tide? Um, one way to do it is through compensation. Uh, and this ties back a little bit to the story of Henry Ford. Um, so again, there was this question of, why have this $5 wage? Um, and people looked at this in a, a number of ways. Uh, they said, well, you know, there are costs of replacing people. Right? If someone leaves, I have to recruit I have to train that person. But compared to the cost of, say, the $5 wage program, that was very small. Um, and also, um, people had a hypothesis that in this new assembly manufacturing regime, again, very similar to the type of setting, um, although it's modern, that we see today, um, that people needed to work very hard and exert a lot of effort. So maybe this higher wage was a way of incentivizing them to do that. Um, and the fact that turnover in Ford's factories dropped from 400% a year to 56, that would be sort of a side effect. It wasn't the main effect. But what we're, uh, from our data, um, what we're perhaps finding or suggesting for that scenario is maybe, maybe that was the goal. So maybe the most obvious thing, the most obvious uh, outcome was in fact what they wanted to achieve in terms of lowering the turnover because it disrupted 
assembly manufacturing. And the reason would be because of these workflows, because of these relationships um, that were becoming more and more critical um, in manufacturing. So in that way, when you think about compensation, it no longer necessarily becomes about one person's performance, which now you can, with the type of data people have and companies have, you really can take apart performance in all sorts of ways. But it also becomes, how do I think about the process? How is the company creating value? Thinking about these workflows. So uh, it's a little bit more uh, sometimes nuanced analysis, I think, right. that is needed. So if, um, if you're a large company and you're producing this much, and even an you have to make even an incremental increase to try and retain people, does that then mean you, you need to shrink your workforce at all? And is that okay? It, it's interesting because um, uh, these facilities, they're, they're huge. Um, so if you look at them, um, you have hundreds of thousands of people going to work in a single facility. Um, the size of a football field or many football many, fields, many, I think you said, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think some of them 90 football fields in production wow. area. Um, and, and some of these buildings, um, essentially an entire wall would be a door. Um, and still people will get to stagger the start times because people will get stuck mm. there. It'll be a bottleneck. Um, mm. So you have a lot of people moving, a lot of product moving. And, and in these facilities, um, when you're thinking about a workforce of that size, you're um, hiring hundreds of thousands of people a year. And there's even the question of, is, is that in some sense sustainable? Um, and, and what we find is, uh, given, a, given a facility and a production process, it makes sense. If you are keeping people around by compensating them, you will be hiring less. You will be going through fewer people. Um, and in some sense, your workforce shrinks just from that. But also, um, there's a secondary effect, which is that uh, when you have a lot of turnover, it introduces, it introduces a lot of uncertainty. And it's the type of uncertainty that you don't have much control over. So you don't know um, who is going to leave when and how that might trigger these sort of cascade effects that affect um, a production line when people start to leave because their friends, in essence, have left uh, the firm. So in that sense, you're dealing with a lot of uncertainty, and that causes you to overhire in some sense. And that's uh, part of the analysis that we go through in, in the paper. Um, and that has a real cost. So when you start to try to control this type of turnover, um, there are two main avenues. One is... Um, I raise compensation and I keep people around longer. So it's no longer as much of a rotating door or turnstile. And the second is that I have less uncertainty. And so I have to, in some sense, hedge less. I don't need an excess workforce or to be thinking about how to prepare for um, this type of turnover. Um, I'm no longer just putting out fires. So it becomes a much more stable uh, and productive environment for the firm and, and for the workers. So in some sense, it looks to us like it could be a win-win. Good. So you end up with a smaller but more committed, maybe more yes. productive team. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Great. So, so mm -hmm. what are you thinking of looking at next in terms of this research? Um, a number of things. Uh, I mean, there is no shortage of questions with, with uh, a data set like this um, where you know, companies, uh, this is actually the first time that um, this company and I think many companies are putting together this type of production data where it's down to the person level, um, compensation data, planning data, so things like production plans. Um, and, and when you do that, I, I think it does open up a lot of questions. First, what will companies do with this data, but also what good can come of it? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think there is a lot uh, 
to think about in terms of how, how does a company provide value? How should it think about its data in that context? And potentially, that can be good for all stakeholders. Um, one question that we're thinking of looking at in that context with manufacturers is, uh, what about the new worker, the new worker that comes in? What is going to influence that person's sort of career or time with the firm, how productive they are, their growth, how long they stay? Um, and I think that's a fertile ground to consider. Um, more broadly, um, uh, looking at the idea of a flexible workforce in the U.S., I'm also looking at um, online marketplaces, actually, um, that try to match workers with different firms and jobs that the worker, the um, businesses uh, are creating. And compared to actually uh, online markets um, that have been prevalent in our lives in the past, such as Uber and Airbnb, it's a much more complex problem, as you can imagine. And it's in some sense interesting in that the same, I think, question that we end up returning to is you have incredibly rich data and you're trying to understand how is value being created. And that sort of makes everything go around, I think. Great. Well, Ken, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank Appreciate you, it. And if you like what you heard, uh, check us out on knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. And you can find us also on your favorite podcasting platform. And be sure to leave us a review. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.